Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today's guest is Dr. Linda Kramer. She has been a psychic medium from birth. In 2001, she died and she was clinically dead for over 14 minutes. Since waking up, she has obtained all the known psychic abilities. After finishing her doctorate degree and other qualifications, she is now on a quest to educate the masses on what heaven on earth can be. And her motto is Mm -hmm. become your glow. Dr. Kramer, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for having me today, Jeff. You know, the honor is all mine, you know beautiful people like yourself that are spreading the word. I cannot express, you know, 15 years ago, even like five years after my event, nobody was talking about it. No one was discussing it. I felt like I was the only person who had had an experience. Mm -hmm. And then I got onto just by sheer luck, you know, there's no coincidences, but it was sheer luck that I found Dr. Raymond Moody who had penned the term near-death experience. So I was emailing him, even though I was back here in Australia and he was in America. So for about four months, six months, him and I were contacting each other by email and he was letting me know, oh, go and have a look at this page. Go and research this word. Go and look at this. So I got that instant, it was like a light bulb. Oh, my God, I can now talk about what happened to me because it wasn't a surreal moment that only happened to me. Mm -hmm. I realised that what I've been through, so many millions out there have had the same sort of similar experiences. So, of course, now I'm in the position now, um, you know, where I can um, get the word out myself on who we are, what ultimately we have after death and what consciousness and what is love and all the heavenly emotions all about. Yeah. Yeah. And, so I'm um, glad you're having me today, Jeff. Thank you. And I'm honored to have you. And I think Dr. Moody, not only coining that word, but probably gave everybody a vocabulary of to use to be able to, you know, explain their experience. And speaking Absolutely. of... Absolutely. I'm going to let everybody know that Dr. Kramer's in Australia. I'm in Texas. There's a little bit of time delay, so I've got to get used to the delay so we don't talk over each other. But And me too. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of experiences, how did you end up dead for 14 minutes? I married an American. I was an Australian, and Uh-oh. I went to North Carolina. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so I'd actually met him here, and we were emailing each other, okay? So I went over there and we got married in August 2000 2000, and we had a year to do my immigration. So I was receiving all these parcels from the immigration office, um, do this by the certain timeline, do this by the certain timeline. So it was very, very stressful because he didn't want to partake in any of it. 
He virtually told me, I just want you here as an illegal immigrant. Mm. I don't want you to have a green card because I don't want you to work. Mm. It should have been a red flag moment yeah. for me. Um, so we ended up fighting and about two nights before I died, he did punch me in the side of my head mm. and I know I lost consciousness. I woke up and I was seeing double, everything was blurry. Um, he just shrugged it off and said, ha ha, you started laughing at me. Um, but two, I got severely sick the next day, probably because of our physical abuse or whatever. Um, I woke up about two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't breathe. This was the morning of the 6th of May, 2001. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting to the toilet, which, hello, it's, you know, who wants to say, oh, I died on the toilet, but I did. Um, I remember going to sleep. Then the next thing, well, I'll tell you what happened in his lifetime. He He says to me when I woke up, he told me that he heard me banging on the wall which I know I didn't do that. I did not have the physical strength to bang on the wall and wake him up. So something did wake him Mm. up. He came in, he found me lying on the floor. I was already blue. So he ran to the um, phone in the bedroom and he rang 911, the emergency call in America. So then he's brought the phone back to me and they said, you know, check her breathing, check this and that. So he started doing CPR on me. Um, it was about 10 minutes before the ambulances arrived. So they were working on me for about half an hour, 45 minutes in the toilet before they carried me out. And then he said they transported me to hospital where I was in an um, induced coma, well, I was in a coma for nine days at the Cabarrus County Hospital in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, my version is totally different to that. So when I went to sleep, I was already, I was floating in the lounge room, which I do have photos in my my book, um, pictures that I drew. Mm-hmm. So the first one is me floating in the ceiling. So I've actually put in a map mm-hmm. of me floating in the room. So there's a, like a, a diagram. Do you mean, is that like the living room? Thank okay. you. Yes. So I was in this front room where the the settee, sofas, lounge suites are with the TV, Mm -hmm. and I was floating up near the ceiling, um, the roof of the ceiling, and I saw the paramedics come in with all their equipment. I I was so awake and in that moment that I could actually read all their name badges. So I remember still their name badges, the, the paramedics that came in, the sheriff arrived. There was other. There was fire um, department personnel attended because the fire engines came as well. Um, all these people were huddled in the in the living room where I was floating, only six feet from them. So I heard the, all their conversations. Um, my body was still in the toilet, which was two rooms away. So, you know that that process there is about half an hour mm-hmm. of me just watching, observing. And it was total bliss. You know, people say to me all the time, was I scared? Was I upset? There was nothing like that. It was total bliss. It was just acceptance of what was happening. You know, there was no feelings of, oh, my God, wake up, you've got to pay the bill. Wake up, you've got to do this tomorrow. There was nothing like that. There was no fear or expectation of future or past events. It was just this total bliss feeling and just watching with total calmness. So they wheeled my body out on a gurney 
which I saw my own body because I was still hovering near the ceiling. And, you know, I've read thousands of near-death experience reports and a lot of them do say that when they see their own body, they've got this, like, gel in their hair. I saw that with my own hair. I was actually thinking, what did they put in my hair? Mm -hmm. So here we go with I did have conscious thoughts. I could think. I could make my own decisions. So it wasn't just floating there in a state of like a dream state where we can't think. I had a total consciousness at this point where, which enabled me to have decisions, etc. Mm -hmm. So when they left, my ex-husband, because obviously he's now my ex because mm -hmm. of what happened, um, he shut the door after everybody left and he turned off the lights before he left. So I'm just still floating there in this dimmed room when the door opens again. And then these things came through the door, which I've also, I drew these pictures like within a week of waking up. Mm -hmm. And this is me with these orby things that I don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. So if I come in on one, you can see what they look like. Right. They were bright. They're like a very deep blue color. Some of them were about this big and others were quite large. And there was about 15 of them. They just floated in and they had their own like little flight path, like hovering, floating around. So, you know, if you can imagine a few of them all doing like this type of thing. They were communicating together because none of them hit each other. But I could not communicate with these things, entities at all. But they were hovering. They came right up to my face and I could see through them this magnificent royal blue colour fluorescent with these little sparkler things coming out. But right in the centre of where they were, they were pure white light. So that's why on some of them, I see uh, there's a little white light in there. Um, just bring it over here. See, I can see a little white light in the middle. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea what they were because they never communicated with me. But they did no harm to me. They didn't hurt me at all. And then they left. They all just, it was like an instant get out of here. So they all, whatever they were doing, they all just went back to the front door and the door shut. So I was hovering in the lounge room and I actually thought, what's going on now? So I could think. It wasn't like a dream where we don't think. It's like a movie playing out in front of our eyes. I could actually make decisions. So then I call it the fog stage. If you close your eyes and instantly open your eyes again, you're in a different location. So it's like me here in Australia, close my eyes, open them again, and now I'm standing on the Great Wall of China. Hmm. But I've had no no feelings of movement. I had no um, perception of travel to that location. I was in one spot and instantly I was in the next. It was simultaneously um, orchestrated. So I found myself in this field Um with flowers that I cannot explain the flowers because we don't have anything on our planet that resembles the flowers I saw. The colours, you know, if you look at our colour spectrum, we only use about 8% of the colour spectrum. So the other 92% of colours is what I'm now experiencing in this field. Um, in the distance I could see mountains. There was buildings, there was people, animals, some of the people were dressed in medieval clothing. Some of them were in futuristic 
spacesuit clothing. Animals were there, like bears, lions, and then we also had the prehistoric animals there, hmm. you know, T-Rexes, um, um, huge dinosaurs flying in the air like pterodactyls. But the thing that I learnt virtually straight away is when I looked down at these flowers, when I walked, the flowers actually moved so I wouldn't step on them. Hmm. So they had a conscious awareness of what I was going to do. Hmm. So it absolutely instantaneous like a light bulb that I realised that I could see, sense the thoughts of the um, flowers in front of me. And they knew what my intention and what I was going to do as well. So then I was looking at the buildings and the um, mountains. And if you can imagine mountains, you know, like Mount Everest, but 20 times as big, you know, instead of just being 30,000 feet high, we're talking 100,000 feet high, mm -hmm. these huge mountains, because everything that I was seeing was now so amplified and magnified 10,000 times. Um, it was very, very panoramic. Very panoramic is the way that I explain it. So I say to people, how long was I in this field for? You know, I was walking around, I was going into buildings, I was talking to people, I, was, I went up the mountains. Hmm. I was there probably about six to eight months. Now, there's no time. So, you know, you look at our conversation today, we've been talking for X amount of minutes. So when you look back at, say, the last week and what you've done, you can say, oh, yeah, it's been a week because I went to this place, I've done that, I've spoken to that person. So when I, like, calculate a time for how long I was in this place, it's probably six, eight months that I was there, observing, talking with people. Um, one of the things that I learned in this place is what we think we create. There was this lady in front of me that I like talking about because I actually was commenting, you know, I was talking to this one woman for so long. She was like Henry VIII, you know, the King of England back in the 1500s, mm -hmm. Henry VIII's wife, Anne Boleyn, who unfortunately he beheaded. Right. She looked very similar to that. She had the hair, the magnificent, long, draping medieval dress, and then instantly, boom, just like that, she's in a very short 1960s miniskirt with all white flowers over it, and her hair was a short black bob. So what we think, we instantly create. Mm. Um, you know, we can be any age we want when we're there. We can be any appearance that we want when we're there. So I spent a long time in this place of just this field with the buildings going through, like, the city. I can draw you, a, um, like, a roadmap of where the buildings were with the streets, who was standing where, what animals were walking through. Funny thing, I saw this T-Rex walking. Now, you can imagine the size of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Mm -hmm. And as he was walking, he was deliberately missing the people and mm. the flowers because everything just moved so nothing was hurt because it's just that everything was one in their consciousness, awareness, that we do become one when we're there. We know what everybody else is thinking. So the way I worded in my book, Heal to, I'm sorry, my book, Heaven Exposed, I say I could hear the music coming out of the mountains. I could hear the thoughts of the plants. I could smell the buildings because all our senses still exist, you know, and I could hear 
the water in the streams because everything is just you connected and everything was one. Mm. So I stayed there probably six months and then um, this lady behind me, who I now know who she is, thank you so much, she's like a spirit guide for me now, um, she's tapped me on the shoulder and said, Linda, it's time to go now. And as I turn to look at her, I'm back in this fog stage where it's like blinking and I open my eyes and I'm in this room where I'm in front of three beings. So here's another picture that I drew. Bring it over so you can see what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And there's me with this box in front of them. Hmm. So people ask me all the time, what do these three beings look like? They had no physical humanoid form, but I could make out a head and shoulders. And the energy, because I had no body, they were pure energy, the energy was coming up into this ball that was their head. So you can imagine this like a rotating counterclockwise and, count and clockwise at the same time, this energy ball. And all the energy was coming up through like their body into it. So I'm standing in front of them and I could see this box, which I've drawn here. I'm standing in front of this box. And it was a knowing. They didn't communicate with me at all. So I don't know if these were male, female or other mm -hmm. sexes or gender. But I just knew that I had to look into that box and I knew what to do when I looked inside the box. And it was coming from them. So I opened the lid of that box and inside there was no walls or no floor. It was infinite. Hmm. And inside there was millions of these little bubbles like um, balloons. And inside each balloon was like a little video screen of every action that I'd ever done. Hmm. So one that I like to talk about, when I was about five, um, my grandmother had a white Persian cat. And here's this memory. So I picked up this one ball of me with this white cat and I was pulling its tail. So as soon as I was watching this replay of a past event that I'd, I'd done, mm -hmm. instantly I was the cat and I could feel the pain in my tail. So now I've got a tail and I could feel the pain from this young five-year-old obliviously pulling my tail and I felt how infuriated the cat was, how angry the cat was because I'd caused it grief. So people ask me all the time, what's my definition of karma? And I say to them, it's karma to me is when we're doing our life review, which is what this was, standing in front of this box and going through each of our memories. Our life review is when we judge ourselves for every action that we've done and then we have to forgive ourselves for everything that we've ever done in our existence. So something bad we've done, like pulling the tail of a Persian cat, I have to forgive myself for doing that to the cat. And then we receive it tenfold. It's tenfold. No, this is biblical. You know, it's in the Bible. You will receive it back tenfold. So a memory that I picked out of me being kind to somebody, that gratitude that that person felt when I'm being kind to them, I'm now feeling that tenfold. And, you know, I swear if you needed tissues in this place, you'd go through 100,000 boxes of tissues because every instant, every moment, every action we've ever done, 
we've got to judge why. And because the emotional state is tenfold, I was bawling my eyes out during that whole time that I was in this, because there is no time, in this place. So, again, people say, how long did I stand in front of these three beings looking inside my box? I've got to go six, 12 months because I was going through, I went through hundreds, thousands of my memories, you know, so each memory that I was picking up, when you observe it and then you've got to look at why you did it and then you've got to judge yourself why you did it and then you feel the gratitude or the anger of the other person that you've done the actions to. So one one of those bubbles could be five or ten minutes. Yeah. And I went through thousands of those. So, you know, it's hard to put a time limit on what I did and how long I was in just that spot. Also, you know, you mentioned that you felt the pain of the cat, which is something interesting. I've never heard that in a life review before. But can you recall like other times that you may have insulted a person or hurt a person and now you relive them feeling the pain that you caused them? Absolutely. Absolutely, it still does happen to me. If I stand on an ant um, and I look down and I see this little tiny ant outside in my yard, I instantly feel now what it's like to be to be that ant to be squashed. Yeah. Um, if I'm angry at somebody, you know, causing like abuse to, towards somebody else, I'm now on their receiving end because what you receive during like this near-death experience, it doesn't ever leave you. Um, you know, it's hard to say that getting used to being back alive because it took me a very long time after I woke up to actually relearn how to be in a body again, you know, learning how to make all our body bodily functions. What is this breathing? You know, I even said it to a nurse, why do I have to breathe for? Because where I've just been for about five years, we don't need to breathe. Mm -hmm. So why do I have to inhale and then physically exhale? I even said to the nurse, my God, this is so, do I have to do this constantly? Mm -hmm. And she said, "Um, yes, you do. So it took a long time for me to even learn my own body. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've done a lot of research in near-death experiences um, and a lot of people do wake up with psychic abilities. And I think it's because I was gone there for so long that now I've got so many and they do become pretty apparent most days. Mm-hmm. You know, some days I, I just have this knowing of what's going to happen in two hours. Other days I have premonition dreams. Other nights I feel empathically, feel what's going on with other people. Then the next day I'm seeing spirit guides appearing in front of me and then the next day it's ghosts. Some days it's all of them together. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm still learning what gifts I've got even though it's 20 years after. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually say to people one of the things that's really cool that I like doing now is I can see inside people since this event. So I've actually got a photo here of me seeing inside people. Mm -hmm. So just so you know what it does look like. Because it's you know it's hard to explain it. So here's the photo. If you can look in there, so you can see like kidneys, heart, liver, bones. Right. That's what I that's what I can see now. I can see inside a plant and see all its stem structure and molecular structure of how the branches are formed. So I know if where it needs to be pruned. Hmm. It's it's amazing what I've got now. 
since mm-hmm. this, but you know, this part here, that was, you know, I still had another two years of experience up at home. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear what happened to me next, because <laughs> it's about to get very interesting. I was going to say, before we get into that, because I definitely want to hear about that, how long did it take you to adapt to your new abilities? I'm still learning them, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Even 20 years after, because there's so many now that I've got that I didn't have before. You know, I've been able to see ghosts since a child, which I put down to a near-death experience when I was a baby because I was in hospital till I was two. And, you know, the doctors told mum that there were days there where they nearly lost me. So I'm thinking I had near-death experiences as a child. Mm. So I've always been able to see ghosts and spirits. But since 2001, it's still a learning curve with, you know, cars talk to me and tell me what they need to have serviced. People walk in with their furniture and um, their clothes on and I can I, I know where they bought the clothes or who gave it to them and where there's tears in the inside lining because it talks to me. So it's not something that, you know, I, I actually say it like this. When we're learning new abilities, you don't ask for everything at once because it's so inundating for our small brains to fathom. Mm-hmm. So it's like an ongoing process. Um, so I like going back to the movies and there's a movie called Lucy with Scarlett Johansson in it where she's going up in her um, brain capacity and there's a scene there where she's actually looking inside a tree and she can see all inside the tree and then she sees like these, um, um, they're like energy um, lines coming up out of people. I do that too. So, you know, you see it in a movie and you think, oh, my God, now I'm not crazy because they've put it into a movie. This, You know, someone has experienced this. Mm-hmm. You know, even the movie The Matrix where you've got all those lines coming down. I wake up some days and I go outside and everything's in these lines. Mm-hmm. And you think, what am I seeing now? You know, what am I seeing now? And then you've got to go into spirit guides and other entities that I see, fairies, <coughs> You know, I might just lose a couple of viewers for you there. Mm. But why do we say there's no fairies? It's only because no one's ever seen one, you know. Um, Yeah, so this girl that was behind me taking me on this, like, tour because she was, like, showing me where everything was, I've seen her. Mm. So here's a pool of – here's a photo of me with her. This was last year. She, She appeared to me at the pool. So there she is standing in the pool Mm. and – all the water disappeared around her. She called my name, so I turned around, and there she was floating in the water, but there was no water around her. It was like an angel. Mm -hmm. But then I realised, oh, my God, this is the lady who talks to me over my left shoulder every day. Every day she talks to me, some days about eight, ten times, other times it's only once or twice, but it's every day I hear her talking. She's got a really high-pitched voice, and she laughs while she talks. It's Mm -hmm. really weird. Hmm. Um, so I know I'm very connected now, mm-hmm. you know, and it's an honour and I'm so humbled by it, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I'm totally honoured, you mm-hmm. know, that they, you know, I obviously have applied through my own life contract. You know, I I believe before I was born they said, hey, do you want this job of being this person? And I went, yeah, give it on. You know, but, oh, you're going to die when you're 36? Yeah, I'll, I'll go through that if it means this. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've, I've openly accepted my life contract and they're still giving me new gifts now. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing life that I'm leading, you know. Right. And now I'm learning YouTube and now I'm learning Skype and Zoom. Mm-hmm. So now they want me to be technical as well as spiritual. Yeah. Mm. 
two quick questions. Um, one is, you know, you were there in your near death experience for years, but I think that all happened within uh, the nine days that you were, or how many days were you, that you were in a coma? And my other question is quickly, so you, and then I'll let you answer both, is while you were in your near-death mm. experience, did you see Jesus or God or any, any you know, Allah or any, you know, a supreme being or a prophet or anything? Okay, I'll address the first bit first. When I woke up and the nurses came in, because there were a couple of, like, psychic experiences that I had when I first woke up, some of the nurses ran and didn't come back. Um, but I did see my medical files and they actually wrote in there 14 minutes clinically dead before um, paramedics arrival with the defibrillator. So that's why I openly say it was at least 14 minutes mm -hmm. because it was in my medical files that I got from the hospital. Um, I was in a coma for nine days. Okay. Um, during that During that nine days, I actually had more than one instance where I did flatline again. Mm. Um, I've now got a really nice scar on my leg where they strapped me to the bed because I was convulsing because I had 15 drips in. You know, people say, have you got proof? Look at all, um, I'll just bring it in. See all the scar, the scars from the needles or the, right. you know, in this arm. Yeah. I've got all these um, scars where I was on life support and, you know, I've got scars up my arms. Under here, I had a heart pump in as well. I had drips in my um, leg where they were ch um, changing um, the cannulas every two days while I was on life support. So I've got a lot of physical evidence to support that I was in a coma for nine days. Mm -hmm. So did I see any biblical figures? In the Bible, what do they call them? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? What were these three? Mm. They didn't tell me, yes, I was Jesus, yes, I'm God Almighty, I am your Heavenly Father. There was nothing like that at all. But who the heck were these three? Mm. Because, you know, you go back to the Bible, the Quran, you know, Buddhism, etc., and generally they speak about the three. So I call these the big three because they didn't introduce themselves, they didn't tell me their names. But every time now when I do talk to the sky, because I talk to the sky a lot, and I say to them, especially to this girl who, you know, she comes to me every day now, this girl that I saw at the pool last year, I say to her often, what is your name? And she replies, because I hear it, like someone standing about two foot behind you talking, that's how I hear her. She says, we have no name for we are all. Okay, I've got to be humbled enough to accept that. So in my understanding, it doesn't matter what I call her, as long as I give her that respect for her position. You know, you look at God, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, even the saints, etc. They are dignified, honorary um, members of an elite group. That's all I can say. You know, even the archangels. There are elite members of an elite group. Mm -hmm. As long as we respect that group, does it ultimately matter whether what religious we are, what 
um, faith we belong to, as long as we have that faith that ultimately these beings do exist. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've studied the Buddhas, I've, I've, I've studied Native American history, I've, made, I've ma- um, looked at the Aboriginal faith here in Australia, I've even looked at Incas, etc., who their gods were, you know, and the Egyptians, etc. It doesn't matter who we bow down to as our deity as long as we have that faith and the belief that they exist because ultimately we all are on that same page because of that faith in that deity um, or God. So did I see anyone up there? I'd say those three, whoever they were, Mm -hmm. were like a God figure. Makes sense. Mm. So I hope that explains it to you, Jeff. Yeah, Yeah. makes sense. I don't think we discussed how you got back. Did you decide to come back? Were you forced to come back? What happened? So here I was doing my life review, happily going through all my box, you know, all my bubbles in this big box that I'm looking at. And then I get the tap on the shoulder again from this girl behind me. And she says, Okay, you've seen enough here now. We've got to go. So I'm back in the fog stage. You close your eyes, you open them again, and now I'm in a totally different location. If you can imagine a wall, a room, where there's no walls, no ceilings, and no floors. So it's just all white space. So I'm in this white space, and over in a distance, there's a woman. And as she walks towards me, she was getting bigger because there was no floor beneath her feet. There was no walls for distance because there's no time there or space. So she walks up to me and she was very angry. <laughs> I will admit she was extremely angry. She said, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, who are you? I don't know why I'm here. You should know you're not supposed to be here. I said, well, I don't know where I am. She said, well, you've got to go back. And I said, well, how can I go back when I don't know where I am? Where where am I? And she was, she was this is how she said it. Oh. Because she was so angry with me, you know, just that. Wow. And then she said, well, they, and one of the crazy things she said to me was, this is her quote, they didn't tell me I had to teach you to do this. So I said to her, who are they? And she said, well, you already should know that. And I'm like, no, I don't know who they are. And I said, well, what am I supposed to learn? And she said, oh, well, I'm going to have to teach you now anyway. So she was obviously somebody to bring me back into my body. So turns out I said to her, who are you? And she said, my name's Karina. I am your great, 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 great grandmother. Mm. So she went into depth and, you know, we're talking again, conversations. You know, if you have friends over on a Friday afternoon and they stay for four hours, think about what you say in that four hours. So... Her and I spoke years. She went into detail about her life as my great, 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 great grandmother. Every person she knew with great detail, like hours and hours just telling me about her friend Sally that lived down the street. She went into great detail how to carve up a wood tree to make a chair. She went into great detail how to make a saucepan so they could cook. Um, how she would she made this thing to wash her clothes with so she'd carry it was foldable she'd put it over her shoulder and take it down to the stream and how she used to wash clothes and how she would dry clothes how she would make clothes that alone there was a week or two conversation just showing me how they made clothes 
So I got a lot of detail about my great-great-great-great-grandmother, Karina. So ultimately, you know, after months, she said to me, you do realise that if you go into there, and she's pointing past me, if you go into there, you can never go back to your own, to your life. So I've turned around and here's another picture I drew. Here's me. Here's Karina. And this. So people say they see the tunnel. So if you can imagine a tunnel swirling both counterclockwise and clockwise at the same time, it had a depth to it. And right at the end, it was pure white light. So that's why I've got a light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. you can see. So I'm looking in this tunnel and I wanted to go into it. It was like an energetic attraction, mm -hmm. a, mag a, a magnetic pull. You know, like what I'm, I'm talking about, like a magnetic, oh, I'm getting sucked in. It's like getting sucked into a vacuum cleaner, that magnetic pull into something. So... I was nearly going to go into it and she came over and she pulled me out of it and she said, look, if you go in there, that's where we reincarnate and you can't go back to where you were before. So I said to her, how does this work? And she said, well, I can't tell you too much because I've actually never done it myself, but I've seen many go in there. And once you go through that process, that's where you learn your next life contract. So she went into a lot of detail about our life contracts what we assign ourselves, the jobs and the lessons before we're born. She said, if you go into there, you'll be born again in whatever, you know, you assign a year to when you want to be born. You assign the life, the parents, the jobs, the lessons that you want to be go through when you come again. So you've got to remember here, there is no time. So if I had died in 2001 and I went into that tunnel, I feasibly could have been reincarnated into 1990. Hmm. So I'm alive in a different life hmm. at the same time that I'm Linda in 1990, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's you know, so that's where we come into like, we come into twin flames, we come into soulmates, because we can exist in different bodies in our, because there's no time. So that's one of the videos that I did about two weeks ago in my um, Dr. Linda Kramer Paranormal Facebook group where I explain it and I draw a diagram of like a timeline from 1940, 1950, 1960. We're born, we died, but then we can come back. So you've got all these alternative lives all coexisting on the planet at the same time, instantaneously. So she gave me great insights into that. You know, just talking about that tunnel would have been months again. So at the end of it, she said, look, you've got to go back. You know, you've seen all the areas that we wanted to show you. And I said, well, how do I go back? And she actually said to me, all you've got to do is think about it because what we think, we create. Remember, I learned that in the first part where I'm in the field, what we create, we, um, what we think we create. So as I started thinking about the bedroom where I slept, the toilet where I passed out and ultimately died. Now I'm back in my human form, waking up from the life support. So, you know, the first thing I saw when I was waking up was the tube that they were pulling out of my throat, mm -hmm. that long, it's a light blue hue tube for life support. And there's a nurse standing there and she says, oh, squeeze my fingers, squeeze my fingers. 
So I'm squeezing her fingers. And for a few hours there after I woke up, obviously because I've been in a coma for nine days, I couldn't really, I had no bodily functions. I couldn't talk because my throat was so dry from being on life support for over a week. But the next day she came in and she said, how do you feel today? And I said, how's Motley? She said, what do you mean about Motley? And I said, oh, my God, you've been here all week telling me about your cat. He's got long grey hair. He's 14 years old. He's got kidney problems. You don't know whether to put him down or you don't know whether to get another kitten. You don't know whether to take him to the vet, put him on chem um, kidney pills. You've been talking about Motley all week. She looked at me and she said, Linda, I do have a cat. His name is Motley. He has he is 14 years old. He has got kidney trouble. But this is my first day in ICU. I haven't been here. I've been down two stores, two stories below us. So how do you know all this about my cat? So that's when it started, the day after mm. I woke up when I could actually talk to people. Um I ended up going into my own private room because, you know, you stay in life, the um, ICU for a day or two. Then they put me into my own private little suite. And I had a bed and on the side of my left side, because this is my left side, there was a mirror, there was windows all the way down the, win um, the wall and I had a TV at the end of my bed and then there was like a little ensuite with a toilet and a shower and the door into my room. And I'm just sitting there watching what was who was at the end of my bed. There was an old lady sitting on a chair in the corner at the end of my bed. There was a tall man, probably 40, 45 years old, standing next to her. There was a dog, like a sandy-coloured Labrador dog, running around playing with this little child there. And this nurse walks in and she says, what are you looking at? Because I'm just observing these four people, the, well, the three with the dog. She said, what are you looking at? And I said, I'm looking at them. And she says, who are you look, who's there? I said, can't you see them? There's an old lady, there's a man, there's a dog, and there's a little kid. Mm -hmm. And she said, Linda, there's no one there. So I've looked at the guy, the man, standing next to the chair, and I said, look, if you want her to know that you're here, can you please bang on this glass window? Mm -hmm. He walked over and... Like this. Wow. The whole window was shaking from vibration. She ran out of the room oh, and never came back. <laughs> she never came back. She never saw me again after that. Um, so the next experience that I really, um, you know, definitively know happened, I arrived back. Well, when we were driving home from the um, Cabarrus County Hospital, which is now called the Atrium Hospital in Concord, we only lived about 10 minutes away. And I can remember saying to my ex-husband, where are we? Why aren't we home yet? And he'd say, well, it's only a 10-minute drive. We've only just been in the car for like two minutes. And it was seeming like three or four hours that we'd been on this major road trip, you know, driving from California over to New York. Mm -hmm. um, and I kept saying to him, why aren't we home yet? You know, I've, I've got to get out of the car. I'm so tired. We've been driving for hours. He said, Linda, it's only a 10-minute trip and we're only halfway there. It's been five minutes since we got into the car. And then I said to him, why are you driving so close to the road? Because, because there's no distance where I was for so long, because you've got to remember I was up there for years. The road, I couldn't understand the line in the middle of the road mm. where we were driving in a lane because the road was a mile wide. 
because I kept saying to him, why don't you drive over there so you're not so close to the other cars because there was no distance. So that's another thing that I, I realised as soon as, like, getting out of hospital. So we got home and I was sitting out the front because I couldn't walk or anything for, like, a week or two after I got home. And I was sitting out. We had three front steps leading to the front door. And I was sitting there and there's all maple trees in the front yard. And I was sitting there and I heard Linda as clear as day. So I'm looking around to see if it's one of the neighbours thinking, oh, yeah, someone's seeing if I'm home, who's talking? And then I heard, Linda! Mm -hmm. And I, you know how your ears prick to a noise so, like an animal does so you know where it's coming from? It was this tree sitting to my left side. So I'm looking at this tree thinking, no way. That can't be the tree saying hello to me, calling me. So I, I looked at the tree and I said out loud, I said, is that you talking? Mm -hmm. And I clearly heard, yes, like someone yelling across from the other side of the street. So I've looked 